Welcome to Make Work Fun, the podcast exploring the fun side of the creator economy. We're the show all about business with a bit less of the business. I'm Ben Bradbury. What is going on, my friends? Welcome to another episode of Make Work Fun. I'm Ben Bradbury, joined today by Brett Dushevsky on Workweek's Creator Operations team. How are you doing, Brett? It's good to see you, sir. Just got back from New York City. We had an awesome creator economy meetup, so it was always fun to connect with like-minded folks out there. How you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, I want to hear more about this meetup. How many people did you have turning up? So we had about, I think, like 100 or so sign up, which is pretty solid. It was during NFT NYC, so I think there was a lot of other events going on, but we had a pretty solid turnout. I think between like 30 and 40 uh, people showed up, ranging from either investors, builders, or creators You know, within the creator economy. So it went really well. Always a nice time. Love that. Meeting physical creators, and hopefully you listening to Make Work Fun, you can get to one of those meetups eventually as well. Well, Brett, what are we going to talk about? This is a news-focused episode of Make Work Fun, where we cover all things in the creator economy that's going on. So give us a little sneak preview as to what we can expect. So we're discussing four key stories happening in the creator economy. The first, which is new out here, is that Twitter just launched a brand new long-form content feature, and we'll discuss how that's going to affect creators. We'll also touch on the rise of YouTube Shorts, and what this means for a new breed of creators called multi-format creators. And Ben, do you want to touch on the stories that you brought out here today? Yeah, we're going to talk about a creator that's making over $30,000 a month just by letting viewers disrupt his sleep. And we're going to go down the rabbit hole on that crazy business model. And then we're going to talk about how one of the biggest creators in the game right now is creating, he has created a product and why it's so successful. And the secret source is that it aligns with his values. And his latest video shows us exactly how to do that and why that matters. If you enjoyed this episode, definitely let us know what you think. You can reach me on Twitter at Ben Bradbury underscore. You can reach Brett at Brett Dash underscore. We would love to hear from you. Without further ado, please enjoy. Okay, Brett, you ready to get into our first story of the day? Let's rock with it. All right. So first of all, we are talking about a creator. This guy is called Jakey Bohm. He makes $34,000 a month. So pretty significant income as a creator. But what I want to talk about is how he is doing this. Jakey makes over $30,000 a month by letting Twitch viewers disrupt his sleep on live stream. He's managed to turn the act of sleeping into an interactive game on Twitch. And to do this, he's crafted a custom script which analyzes specific phrases or prompts within his live chat. And then when the correct prompt has been discovered by his script, you can deploy as a watcher a new distraction in Jakey's room. So you can have sounds like a car horn going, like a duck quacking. And this poor guy is getting absolutely no sleep, but he is raking it in. So, Brett, what do you make of this creator? This is super interesting. I saw this, I think, on Twitter, and then I I read about it in a creator economy newsletter. And I'm honestly not surprised. Like, there is just numerous ways, like the list is endless on how you can create content and make money doing it. You know, it reminds me of like someone on OnlyFans was making like up like six figures or, or more than that, like just posting pictures of like their feet or something or like their hand. And this kind of gives me the same vibe that this guy's just <laughs> trying to sleep and you can literally 
I guess by saying certain phrases, how wake him up. And I think that that's just like such great entertainment and it's like driving FOMO. I hear about that and I'm like, I want to hop on to the Twitch and watch him. And maybe I'm with my friends and we're going to send out a phrase and it's going to slap the guy, whatever mechanics he has, you know, in his room to wake him up. Yeah, the FOMO is an interesting part of it as well, because it's one of these things that just hasn't really been taken advantage of yet. And I feel like because so many people, myself included, see sleep as such a sacred part of their day that when I hear someone who is just not able to sleep for money, I mean, I think you can go about three weeks with zero sleep before you you drop dead and so this guy he must be seeing all kinds of shit man like i'm sure there's like little figures tap dancing across his desk <laughs> and he's hallucinating half the time but he's doing it on twitch for everyone to see which makes it like more of a spectacle people love to see other people kind of in a sense get like tortured with not being able to sleep people love watching like ufc fighting they like if you get see people get beat up and so in this sense it's like a friendly non-terribly harmful way uh to get some entertainment and like screw around with someone who uh, is trying to sleep but good on this guy for coming up with this this idea uh and it just has like virality attached to it so it should be really interesting to see how he keeps growing he probably sleeps during the day i assume uh and then at nighttime lets this rock uh, so good for him. Uh, this is like, I don't think people will grow up being like, I want to be a Twitch streamer who gets uh, beat up by not going to sleep <laughs> by uh, audience members around the world. I read a stat the other day that 75% of, I think it's 12 to 18 year olds might be a little bit off there, but they want to become YouTubers. They want to become personalities. And what I think is so interesting about this trend is that unlike movie stars on the big screen, you are actually breaking down the wall between the celebrity and the fan. And so in my mind, if I imagine myself watching, I might pay to be scared by watching a horror movie. There's a billion dollar industry there, but I'm not going to interact with the people who are on the cinema screen versus with this Twitch streamer with Jakey Bohm. I can still pay for those thrills for that excitement or watch the, the thrills and excitement. But I can pay the premium of having a part in the story. So I actually get to dictate the narrative or at least influence the narrative. And that's what I think we're starting to see fans pay a premium for with their creators is an ability not just for the creator to create the story and then the fans just eat popcorn in the background, but the fans are actually influencing the story themselves. And that's where I think things get really interesting. The two-way communication that you can have with audiences, and especially with the advent of like being able to go live on either Twitch, uh, on YouTube, on TikTok, whatever it may be, allows you to have that interaction. And when I'm on TikTok, I, I haven't used Twitch, so uh, I think I need to hop on there. But when I'm on TikTok and I go on the live side, I love that I can like write to the creator on the other end, and they will respond to maybe what you commented, or you can send gifts and stuff and they'll respond it'll make them do something and the fact that you can control the narrative i think is really awesome because it's almost like this this customization that you can have with content that's in front of you and with a creator who you really like uh, and enjoy watching interacting with uh, and then something that again it kind of creates community uh, you create a community around us keeping jakey up at nighttime uh, and all that good stuff so should be interesting to see how this all evolves 
And I, I like the two-way aspect. I think it's awesome. We got to get that going for movies. Let's create a movie uh, with while the audience is in the theater, you know, they get to control the narrative that happens on there and make for like a good live play or something. Well, Netflix has kind of been doing this already with Black Mirror. So there was that phenomenon couple years ago called Bandersnatch, where you'd watch this episode and then as the episode goes through, you can use your remote to decide which decision you're going to make. It was this choose your own adventure game. And I wonder if that's going to become more of the norm as people want to interact with creators more and more, actually giving your audience autonomy in the content. That could be a pretty interesting trend that we might see play out in the future. That was actually one of my favorite Netflix episodes because, again, it was super interactive. It felt like an adventure and it makes for a really great communal watch with other people because you can sit around and choose the narrative with other people next to you. Same idea with this Twitch streamer. You are with people from around the world all you know, creating this narrative that we're all watching at the same time. And I think it's doing something really unique to bring uh, people together. And I think the big lesson from Jakey Bohm is that if we participate as a community and come together around a shared goal, there's a real opportunity for the creator to be the leader of that mission. So in Jakey's case, he's saying, hey, come into this fun experience where you or your friends or people you don't know can come and disrupt my sleep. But the goal is to make Jakey sleep as little as possible. So having that shared sense of a, of a common goal and putting the creator at the center I think is something that we can we can all think about as creators. So moving away from Twitch, we're going to hop over to a different platform, Twitter. So Twitter yesterday just announced the launch of a new long-form writing feature that they call Twitter Notes. And it's as part of an overarching Twitter write feature that's paired with Review, which we know as their newsletter platform. So this should be super interesting, and uh, it kind of pinged me with two questions that I want to analyze here about, is this going to be the end of Twitter threads, which have been super prominent on Twitter the past couple of years, and how can creators now leverage notes? It's another feature for creators to uh, take advantage of, so we'll see what happens there. What do you think? So I always think when we're developing these new features on platforms, has this been done before? Can we see the, the pattern change somewhere before? And I look at LinkedIn, LinkedIn, a few years ago, the maximum character count was 1300. So you ended up with this very standard style of text-based post. Then last year, they opened it up to 3000. The whole idea being that you can post these mini blogs in your feed. Now, were the mini blogs the end of the status post? Absolutely not. And I think something that is always going to happen for creators is that people are always going to want more information in less time because our attention is is far more fragmented. So is this going to be the end of a platform that is really focused on short form content? Probably not. But having said that, I think there will be long form winners. I think a great creator to pay attention to who's done this on LinkedIn with their new character count is Chris Walker. Chris has a podcast called State of Demand Gen, and he'll post these seven, eight, nine minute videos, which are incredibly high signal about B2B marketing. 
And the kicker is that his descriptions will equally be these really high signal essays. And so marketers read them and they're like, shit, I'm learning so much from this guy. I want to follow him. I want to get on his podcast. And I know he reliably converts a handful of subscribers to his podcast every time he puts one of them live. So there will be winners and losers, but ultimately I don't think it's going to disrupt Twitter's fundamental value proposition. Yeah, I think those are all great points. And I think LinkedIn is a great example of that long form aspect. Uh, Facebook tried this a couple years ago with longer form blogging and it just failed. And Twitter has had its go with a bunch of different features and they failed. So I'm optimistic that this will serve uh, a bit more use, but I agree. I don't think this is the end of anything that's short form. Uh, I think that it pairs really nicely. Like if you're running long form notes, pair that with tweets or pair that with threads and help yourself grow as a longer form writer. And I applaud Twitter for moving into this longer form route because at the end of the day, they are a writing platform. And though their core product was like the 120 characters, whatever it may have been, and to short form writing, this allows them to expand and it gives creators another opportunity to write more, keep users on the platform more, drive more revenue for Twitter, and then ultimately hopefully for creators who are writing and getting a lot of eyeballs. So We'll see what happens with that. So let me just challenge you there, because when I think about how people use Twitter, I don't think people read Twitter. I think they browse it. So if I'm going on Twitter on my phone, I'm flicking fast. I'm getting through five tweets every couple of seconds. It's like boom, boom, boom. And then if something catches my eye, okay, great. So I always think the consumption habit of a platform is really important to pay attention to. And if you're priming your audience for this very fast, heavy, saturated diet of mini pieces of content, then actually getting them to turn away from that and say, hey, come and read an essay, you're essentially trying to do what Medium was doing. And Ev Williams is obviously the founder of Twitter and Medium, but you're trying to bake that into the platform. Do you think that people actually are primed to have the attention on Twitter, given it's such a short form medium today. It's a really great point. And Medium is the example that pops into my mind of what I see Twitter evolving into. A medium on steroids because it has this amazing discoverability and distribution mechanism because virality is like inherent on Twitter. And so how can they mimic that with longer form content, which again, it seems to be like a revenue play out here. So I think this will take some time for users to adopt. And I do think it's going to be used a bit more infrequently than normal tweets. And so perhaps if there's a big event that happens or someone has a strong opinion on a current event or a research paper that was dropped, they'll leverage this notes bit to share their thoughts in depth. Just like we see currently without this feature, a lot of people will write in their notes app on their iPhone and then take a screenshot of it and post it to Twitter as their long form. But the issue with that is it's an image. So there's no discoverability there. You can't search it up. And so hopefully Notes serves as now that practical basis on Twitter and you can easily find people's longer form content. But it'll be interesting to see how this evolves, if it takes over newsletters and all that good stuff. That's a pretty interesting use case where if you're a creator and you have something you really want to say, some kind of press release or you're releasing a new product, you're going in a new direction, you're launching a new season, you can now actually have notes indexed in Twitter because increasingly what we're seeing with podcasts is that 
podcasts are becoming video and video is being and audio is being transcribed by Google, by YouTube, by the big algorithms. And that's meaning that your podcast is serving as SEO. And so now if you're actually ranking in Twitter, your long form statements can help you get discovered. I think that's a great use case. So it should play well. It serves as another nice interactive way to showcase a lot of information. You can add images and all that good stuff. And then again, I do think it pairs really nicely with short form tweets and threads. And perhaps a note turns into a thread or a tweet or a tweet and a thread turn into a broader note. So we'll see what happens there. Now I'm curious on your end, how you see creators leveraging this on Twitter. Do you think people are going to move from newsletters to notes do you think it's going to turn into its own core thing? I think it comes back to one of the points you raised at the start, which is, is this going to take over the role of the thread? Because right now, threads are how you grow on Twitter. And if you have these long form pieces of content that are seven, eight, as much as maybe 21, 22 tweets long, then you're able to get a ton of engagement and each of those tweets in and of themselves can be found. So what I'd really want to understand is how Twitter is going to embed notes into the platform. If it's something that you can find in the feed and people actually want to read, then great, let's do it. If it's something that sits off to the side, like your DMs, for example, or like private communities do at the moment, then I'm not sure it's going to get the take up that we're really looking for. So I think it's really going to depend on how how much Twitter actually promotes it. And I mean, another good example of this is Reels with Instagram. Instagram unlocked the floodgates for Reels. They Distribution was open season last year. And because of that, they saw a huge increase of people making Reels on the platform. And so it's really going to depend how they promote notes, whether that's something that lives in the feed or whether that lives off to the side. Now, I mentioned Twitter has rolled out a bunch of new features over the past couple of years that have been hidden in your menu bar, like communities, even like spaces, which is still struggling to gain a lot of traction. So if Twitter adjusts their algorithm to favor notes, we'll, we'll see an influx of people leveraging notes, just like when Twitter favored the algorithm towards threads, you see threads all over your Twitter feed. You know, you could rename Twitter to be threads and it would make sense because of how yeah. often you see that type of content. Now for creators who I think infrequently publish, and don't want to set up a newsletter or a blog and spend a lot of their time on Twitter, this is a great place for them to leverage something like that for longer form while making use of the distribution and discoverability that Twitter offers. Because I believe from what I read, you can still retweet, share links of these notes so that they tap into the virality aspect of Twitter. Hopefully they promote it. I mean, what I'm really curious about is just are people actually going to switch over to long form reading on Twitter. Jury's out. We will see. Yeah, we shall see. All right. Why don't we dive into our third story of the day? Yeah, let's do it. So we're talking about another creator here. We're actually talking about two creators. One is very much a mainstream name, and that is Gordon Ramsay. He's been a pretty legendary chef here in the UK, exported over to America, and is now a brand in and of himself. And a couple of weeks ago, at the time of recording, we're recording this late June, 
A couple of weeks ago, he collaborated with none other than Jimmy Donaldson, otherwise known as Mr. Beast, on his new video, where he built a humongous chocolate factory. Now, on the surface, this might look like some Willy Wonka parody, but there's a couple of really interesting things going on here that has made this video have over 69 million views, 120,000 comments. Number one is that Jimmy is playing into this trend that we see a lot, which is creators becoming extensions of themselves through merchandise. And he's created this fun, easy-to-eat chocolate called Feastables. And guess which chocolate is being used all over the chocolate factory? It's Feastables. They made wooden doors out of it. They made wooden floors, boats, trees. And they have shots of all the contestants eating this edible chocolate factory. And so what I think is kind of interesting about this is the the video is a giant advert for his chocolate brand. And we'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute. But Brett, what's your take on this? Why is Mr. Beast's video genius working again with this latest video? So I watched it the other week and it was actually the first Mr. Beast video I've ever watched. I know who he is. I see him everywhere. Oh, Brett, I haven't actually Shevsky. watched how could you? I haven't actually, <laughs> I haven't actually watched any of his content <laughs> all the way through. Let's say I watched this whole entire YouTube video all the way through, and I was absolutely amazed by it. And I think the reason that I was so drawn into it is because there was hype that was being built leading up to it. Someone tweeted, or or Mr. Beast tweeted and shared that he was putting like X amount of dollars into building literally a Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And that draw and that hype that I felt, the anticipation, made me want to go and watch the video. Now, Mr. Beast has been absolutely killing it with his crazy broad ideas, which just seems so out of the ordinary, so crazy that it draws in these audiences to be like, there's no way he built a Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And he did it. And that those crazy ideas is what drives in viewers. Now, granted, Mr. Beast has the resources to do things like these, but the fact that he talks the talk, walks the walk, really drives in these audiences to see the crazy videos he puts together, the crazy sets he builds, uh, and it makes for a really amazing entertainment. I learned a couple of years ago about Mr. Beast's creative process and how his team builds these videos. And when they were pumping out a video every single week. They're, they're on a slightly longer cadence now, so this doesn't apply now. But back in the day when they were doing a video every week, week in, week out, their process was they would spend at least two full days in a room slapped with whiteboards, just coming up with ideas for these videos. And they say, what about doing this? What about this? What about this? And sometimes there'd be videos that they'd even get to the point of recording, like trying to climb a skyscraper with plungers. And then they realize that this is like a highly impractical video for whatever reason. I mean, it sounds ridiculous just saying it, but they're like, oh, there's actually a reason why we can't do this. And they had to scrap the whole video. And so that's what I think is so interesting about Mr. Beast is he really puts a ton of emphasis on the quality of the idea. It's not just a fluke that people are watching these videos. He spends weeks and weeks and hundreds of hours refining, 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 and then going live with the content. I think that's a great lesson for creators is to spend more time up front on finding a winning formula, whether that's a podcast or your newsletter or your tweet thread. And then once you've got that, go ahead and execute it, but spend more time with the idea itself. You mentioned a really great point there 
about how he has all these ideas and he let's say he wanted to go try it out like the plungers to climb a skyscraper. He's experimenting. He's iterating. He has these ideas. He goes and tries it out. And if it doesn't work, he moves on to the next one and the iterating goes on and on. And so that is a great lesson for creators to just get something out there, have an idea, try it out, see what resources you can put into it. And if it's not working, you can move on to the next idea and put that behind you and take your learnings with you going forward. Now, Ben, I want to hear your thoughts on him with Feastables and incorporating this chocolate factory into Feastables. There obviously had to be a massive marketing play here to drive people because now Mr. Beast is the Willy Wonka chocolate guy, the real life version. <laughs> yeah, he's YouTube's Willy Wonka. Um, I think there's a couple interesting things going on here. One is he's used a celebrity whose star power is already huge in the food space, Gordon Ramsay, and had him actually judge three of the contestants at the end who make their own desserts. Guess which chocolate they're using? Feastables. So now when if Gordon Ramsay tries one of those desserts and he likes it, he's trying a product that has Feastables in it and he's subconsciously endorsing Feastables. So you're getting all these ideas for how you can then go ahead and, and cook it. The other thing which is really interesting here is the product is like an extension of Mr. Beast's values. So his whole channel is about giving you a fun, light-hearted hit of entertainment to brighten up your week. And that's exactly what a chocolate bar is. It's supposed to be a treat. It's not supposed to be something you, you have your five a day on. It's something you buy one of maybe every couple of weeks and then that's it. And so the value proposition of his product aligns really closely with the value proposition of his content. And that's what I think winning creators do when they do get into merchandise or they do get into products and services. They should be extensions of the values that you already hold. You shouldn't be giving someone a totally different promise, a different experience. It should feel very natural graduating to that product. Colin and Samir tout that about value prop alignment. And I think Mr. Beast does that really, really well, that he is this bright, happy guy. What's bright and happy when it comes to food? Chocolate. And it makes total sense. You know, if Mr. Beast came out with a turkey, it probably wouldn't align too much with with his values. And so <laughs> I think that's a really great takeaway from how he's leveraging uh, this product of his. Do you reckon we should do uh, Workweek branded turkeys, Brett? See if we can make them fun, make turkeys fun. <laughs> Workweek branded turkeys uh, coming around during Thanksgiving out here in the States. We'll see uh, We'll see how that, that plays for us. Content Watch to commerce. Website. Yeah, right. Workweek.com slash turkey. Exactly. It. It's coming. Let's get into our last story. I know there's a, uh, this is a pretty juicy one. So speaking of Mr. Beast, uh, I was diving into YouTube Shorts and I saw that Mr. Beast has a separate YouTube Shorts channel that is different than his longer form. And it's enabling him to blast his reach and draw audiences uh, into his longer form content, uh, which generates you know more viewers, longer watch time, and ultimately more ad revenue for both YouTube and Mr. Beast. So I bring this up because last week, YouTube released new statistics on the growth of their shorts feature, uh, which is the short form video, you know, like the rival of TikTok. More than one and a half billion people who log into YouTube every month watch shorts, which is a big number. And it's a big number, so it's tough to understand. Now, to for reference, it's 50% more than the 1 billion monthly users on TikTok that was reported back in September. 
and it's roughly 75% of YouTube's 2 billion monthly active users. So it's safe to say the shorts feature is serving YouTube well in terms of watch time. And it seems to be a really interesting strategy for creators to leverage short form content into long form content, just as we were talking about with creators maybe using tweets to go into notes, which is longer form. So I'm curious, Ben, one, have you tried out shorts? And two, what do you think of the creator strategy of short form content to long form content? I've consumed a ton of shorts. I'm yet to post my first one. That's going to change very soon. And the reason it's going to change is because I think they're a great way to give another entry point into medium or long form content. So YouTube is so powerful because it knows you really, really well. And if it knows you that well and it's going to serve you a video, that's great. But as a creator, you need to earn the trust of your audience. And if someone wanted to go for a coffee with you, they want to have a networking call with you and they send you a calendar invite that is two hours you're probably going to politely decline that and say, hey, let's cut that by a tenth. Same thing with a piece of content. You're not just going to go for the first person you've never met before and jump into a two-hour podcast, are you? You're going to want to try before you buy. You want to go to the all-you-can-eat buffet, sample a bit of content, try this bit, try that bit. And that's exactly what Shorts is. Shorts is like a buffet for your content. It lets people very quickly get a glimpse of what's to come in the longer form content. And then if they like a clip, then they can go deeper. But that I think is the the really powerful piece of Shorts is discoverability. Because when you pair the short form content with YouTube's algorithm that already knows you better than you know yourself, you're just giving your audience another way to connect with you and find the ideas that you both care about. The discoverability aspect of YouTube Shorts is massive because just like you said, it enables you to taste it. And if you want to dive deeper into the whole entire meal, you can do that. And Shorts makes it super easy for you to subscribe to the creator's YouTube channel for that longer form content. And so Shorts almost serves as like this free advertising that if you want to take a clip from something you already have, like we talk about at Workweek, the sawdust and turn it into a YouTube short, then you can drive folks to your longer form content to hook them in, to have them be audience members. And then again, that can help you drive revenue and help yourself grow. And this is all part of what YouTube calls like multi-format creators. So you're gonna have creators who move between different video formats such as shorts and long form. Same idea if you're a writer and you're tweeting and writing a newsletter or a blog. You're a multi-format creator because you're moving between these two different ways to, to produce content. So it's super interesting to see that. And I think if you're a YouTuber, you need to be producing content on shorts or you're missing out on uh, better watch time, more subscribers, which is what YouTube is finding is happening. Uh, if you post on shorts, you're seeing an increase on your main channels for the longer form content. So question for you then, Brett, if you're one of these longer form creators who's producing, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's a vlog recently, but you want to get into shorts, how can you think about repurposing your content? So you're taking that long form asset and you're turning it into these shorter form hits. How do you think that can work? Finding the bits of the longer form video that are most exciting or most intriguing is something that could help you repurpose the content. Because if you are a YouTuber, you need to think of yourself as like a director of a movie and you're building out a trailer. So if I'm Mr. Beast, for example, and I just filmed this half an hour long video, 
how can I convert certain parts of that over to YouTube shorts? So maybe it's someone falling into their chocolate river, but you pause the short after they fall into the chocolate river and loop it or something. And then you want to go and dive into the full video to see that. Or if you're a podcaster and you post your podcast on YouTube, you could perhaps turn your spiciest takes that were in your podcast into shorts. And that way people are hearing like the best parts of the podcast and are like, ooh, I like that. I want to dive deeper. I want to listen to the whole conversation. And so I think finding the spiciest parts of your content and reformatting it to shorts is super helpful. And also finding ways to create this like hype, this suspicion of like what's going to happen that draws viewers into wanting to watch the whole thing. You really need to be like a salesperson and sell yourself and sell your video, sell your content. Yeah, the spicy take is a great framework. And I think you can boil that down to, are you eliciting an emotional reaction from your audience? Is there something surprising? Is there something upsetting? Is there something motivating? Something that makes people happy or relieved? Does it make them angry? Having those snippets having those emotional reactions is is pretty key but it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out so all in all long form content is not dead short form is most definitely here to stay but we'll be seeing a lot of creators leveraging one to boost the other whether it's long form to short form short form to long form so it'll be super exciting to see and i think i'm going to be spending a lot more time on youtube shorts now over tiktok because i need (laughs) to uh familiarize myself with that platform and and the rapid growth that it's having. I want to be a part of it. I see a few rabbit holes in your future, Brett. (laughs) Yeah, we're diving deep. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for jumping on the show today. This has been fun chatting. Uh, People want to follow you, keep up with your ideas. Where's the best place for them to go? You can follow me on Twitter at Brett Dash underscore. And you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Just type my name in. And I post uh, tweets about creators, the creator economy, content creation, and audience building. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you, guys. If you've liked what you've heard, definitely drop us a tweet. You can reach Brett at Brett Dash underscore. As you said, you can reach me at Ben Bradbury underscore. And we will see you next time for some more news, insights, and inspiration for creators by creators. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Keep the fun coming by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? It really helps us spread our message. We'll see you next time.